0: Welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. And be sure to sign up for the new monthly e-newsletter. You'll get more info about the episodes and guests and more ways to engage with musical theater past and present. Sign up now at scene songsubstackcom to make sure it's in your inbox. My guest today is Sandy sahar Sandy is a multidisciplinary artist whose work spans from music direction and production to writing and performing. In addition to his work, he writes about theater on medium as a devotee and nerd. We're going to talk today about the musicals of Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Hey, Sandy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you
1: for having me.
0: Right. Well, we will get started with our Get to Know Our Guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical?
1: So my first experience with a live musical is how I'm interpreting this i was about four years old i saw peter pan at a jcc summer camp my sister was a pirate my mom was the md that runs in the family and um yeah i got very inspired uh, it was the uh julie stein mm-hmm. peter pan
0: nice yeah that was an early one for me too i we saw the um i guess the, it was broadcast on tv when i was a kid the mary the, Martin, like kathy rigby the actually the mary martin version Oh, cool. was like broadcast on TV when I was in first grade. so like I knew a lot of people who also watched it and um we taped it so like we had it <laughs> to watch over and over again. so this is a great musical adaptation, I think, especially for kids.
1: yes, oh my gosh, the <laughs> Seeing the flying and being a very small child and just not knowing how that works yet is very exciting.
0: Uh, Which musical has had the greatest impact on you?
1: Oh, this one is very easy for me, actually. Uh, It's a chorus line. Um, It's not my very favorite show, and it's not the only show that had an impact, obviously, but it's had an influence on a lot of the musicals that I like. And I actually grew up in a studio that did it annually for over 30 years. Oh wow. Which is a which is a weird thing that most studio like the only it's the only studio that does this or that did this when it was still in, in effect. And if you ever watch Every Little Step, Jessica Lee Golden was my teacher and went through that studio as well. Mm-hmm. And it's no other studio does the same show for thirty years. Yeah. But they did a chorus line every year. Oh wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So you know it very well.
1: <laughs> yes, and they had a copy of the Bible, the, the the Chorus Line Bible.
0: What is a musical people would be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? So
1: I am pretty transparent about most of the shows I like versus don't like, but uh, the musical theater take or song that, that people are very surprised by when meeting me based on a lot of my, you know, more pretentious and, and whatever, you know, outward appearances. I believe that I like Danny from the musical Freckleface Strawberry is oh. one of the best written musical theater songs. And and that is a surprise to a lot of people. Uh. I encourage people to listen to it because it's a, it's a very simple song, but it gets the job done.
0: <laughs> wow. I don't know it. I'm definitely going to have to listen to it now. Do you know Kamiko
1: Glenn? Have you heard yeah. of it? She's the one who does it on the original cast
0: album, and it's Uh, it's
1: fantastic.
0: (laughs) I'm sure. She's so great, yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical, and who is your favorite villain or antagonist?
1: So I really enjoy shows that have unestablished or systemic villains or ones where everyone is kind of both. Um, So I really enjoy the dynamic of Elphaba and Glinda uh, in Wicked. I really enjoy that everyone in Sweeney Todd is kind of a villain. And the true to me person who is the protagonist but is also the villain is Marvin in the the Falsettos Mm. trilogy. Really, he is the protagonist, but he's the villain in a way. So I'm I'm obsessed with that. That it's like, oh, you're the main character, but you're also kind of the source of all of the problems.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) i love it what is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of
1: so people are starting to hear Ride of Red the cyclone it used to be my answer but my new answers are uh triassic park and boys who tricked me um mm-hmm. i will also plug the show i'm currently writing which is a twink piece but yes the the ones that are out there with ready available recordings are triassic park and boys who tricked me Nice. and that park love, is spelled with q
0: right i loved triassic park i saw like the original version of it at w- i guess it was fringe festival i can't even remember when that was and i just loved it and then yeah and then i saw it when they redid it uh they had re- re- reworked some of it and then it was its own its own run but yes. it
2: was That's a, a lot of <laughs> yeah
0: yeah <laughs> And uh, what is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? So we'll be
1: talking about that hopefully more today. Uh, But one of my big ones is a firestorm consuming Indianapolis from from Rosewater. Um, but the emotional landscape in the music and all of the things in 13, the musical is something that to me, this is another one where it's like, people might not expect this answer unless <laughs> they know me very well. But, um, not only do I think it didn't have to be that intricate and impressive for a show that's written for children to do, it also really deals with a lot of complexities that I wouldn't expect, including tackling, you know, a, a, uh, again, they poke fun at it at times, but also t- dealing with the more intense feelings of a character who is, you know, essentially dying as a child. Like, that's mm-hmm. something that is a throwaway joke at times, and then other times they take it very seriously in that musical. And mm-hmm. that always gets me, I think.
0: it's I, I never saw that musical, and it's, like, one that I, I, like, missed it when it was here, and it's one that I was, like, very sad to miss, so... I love things about being 13, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Jason Robert Brown continued the tradition of adding part of his own haftora into <laughs> the 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 score of that show. It's true.
0: Well, great. So let's uh, move into our topic, which is the work of Alan Menken and Howard Ashman and, um, you know, two amazing writers for the theater so let's I guess start with kind of where you're coming from with this what your history is with with these two writers.
1: Absolutely I wrote my undergrad thesis at Barnard College on collaboration with focusing on their partnership and specifically the lasting effects on the rest of Alan Menken's career the loss of Howard Ashman you know really had an impact and he even says that, his, that that Ashman's contributed to the work after his passing. So I, I think of them as collaborators permanently, even though, though Howard passed tragically young. Um, and so that was kind of the crux of my thesis, is showing how Howard still has an influence, um, yeah. even no longer being around. Um, so that's my background with their work.
0: Nice. And I guess we'll get into more of their career trajectory, but maybe we should start with kind of like an overview in case people haven't seen the the really great documentary on Disney Plus, uh, Howard. They were
1: sort of match made through Maury Yeston in their 20s. Um, And then they collaborated on God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, which was an adaptation of a Kurt Vonnegut novel. And then they sort of did their work at the wpa theater they also then adapted next a horror film little shop of horrors sort of a b movie but then they elevated it to this very popular musical and then they separated for a bit and howard worked on smile which was a flop and then they got a call to work at disney howard brought alan along alan has since won eight oscars <laughs> And they've they they wrote Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and and of course Alan has done a good number of other Disney and non Disney projects since then.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's been working pretty consistently. I would say Howard Ashman passed away. It was right as Beauty and the Beast was coming out. I think it was. Um, oh, he
1: passed in. He passed in March of 1991. Mm-hmm. And then November of 1991 is when the film was released.
0: Got it. Yeah. And he had already, they had already, the, the timing, which is what I learned from the documentary was the timing was that he had already started working on Aladdin previously and then duty me. So like his. Oh,
1: yes. When he initially came to Disney, he, Aladdin was one of the first pieces he had, wanted to do with them it was originally the thief of baghdad however he was like it was like aladdin little mermaid beauty and the beast the i tina documentary or or whatever it was like an adaptation about tina turner he would have loved tina the musical oh yeah he was a big tina turner person and he also did um he wanted to work on newsies I learned this that he had asked to.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So what I guess what kind of drew you to their to their collaboration and their work? So
1: I was always a big fan of their work. However, the more that I learned about each of them as creators, especially through the very first documentary prior to Howard, they made this one called waking sleeping beauty about the Disney Renaissance, that documentary, and also the, uh, city center, off center production of God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Those two things in conjunction with each other really forced me to be more interested in that as a writing point. I also looked up, you know, what thesis topics in musical theater had been, you know, explored quite a bit and I noticed that there was there was a lack of theses on them interesting really not <laughs> much of anything
0: because I feel like they're they're pretty popular as like a writing team like I feel like everybody not everybody but a lot of people know and love little Shop of horrors and of course I've, you know grew up on a lot of the Disney right. that's
1: why it was so movies. surprising that the actual and I when I met with Alan, Mm -hmm. it was like nobody's ever handed me their thesis before and that i mean people have obviously written about the disney renaissance in other right ways but writing specifically about the two of them for whatever reason Mm -hmm. was just not as commonly done
0: interesting yeah because i guess yeah the disney piece of it is so strong like what how they how they changed disney is is such a told is, is a very well told story i think at this point but looking at specifically their, them and their work is, I, I guess, it sounds like it wasn't as done.
1: Right. And uh, uh, he was very excited to read it when we met. So nice.
0: Um, yeah, the, that production of God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. I saw that as well. And I think, I really think for me, that was this missing piece that made me, like, really appreciate them and their work. I mean, I grew up on, you know, I was a kid during the Disney Renaissance. So I grew up on all those movies. And, and that but I was never that into Little Shop of Horrors. And it always just like scared me. And I just, I appreciate it more now. I I probably have said on other episodes of this podcast when it's brought up, but it it frightened me as a child, and I never took to it. But then when I saw God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, it just like their whole, like everything about Little Shop of Horrors, like it just felt like everything locked into place for me. Like I, I got where they were coming from, what kind of writers they were, um, everything. So that's definitely my favorite of their, of their work. And I, and it's an early show. It's their first show together. So they were
1: in their 20s still at the time, um, which is mind boggling. However, yeah, I would say that for me, I like that one. I really do also love Beauty and the Beast because, Mm -hmm. yes, it is a, yes, it is Disney. However, (laughs) coming in with the audacity to have a, like, nine minute opening number into a Disney film was chutzpah. (laughs) Like, we're going to start with Weekend in the Country, but, like, for children.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an amazing sequence.
1: Something that also, I grew up on the stories of Kurt Vonnegut. I actually wrote my SAT essay on Harrison Bergeron. Oh, wow. It's a story by Kurt Vonnegut about making everyone be the exact same. Mm -hmm. And I read that in my Holocaust studies class in middle school. And it left a really big impact on me as a child. and, And just... Some people really like Slaughterhouse-Five, some people like other Kurt Vonnegut works, but Rosewater and Harrison Bergeron are right up there for me. Um, Basically, the idea of taking a story about a man who is deemed insane (laughs) because he wants to dismantle his family's wealth and give it to poor people is a very far cry from working for the arguably biggest corporation right currently in existence in the media <laughs> it it was a real it was a real twist and i will say a big part of that was the uh, failure of smile yeah you know prompting prompting howard to go well theater isn't understanding me why don't i just go do movies and i think i think that's just also something to be said about people being naive and believing that they can change the world when they're in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Tackling the big questions versus, you know, I mean, he did change the world uh, through Disney in a way because he brought queer ideas and he also certainly revitalized that department. Um, It's just that he taught them a secret formula that would then be used to sell like toys and theme parks (laughs) etc
0: yeah when you really step back and think about like just how radical and anti-capitalist their musicals are and then to yeah then to go and work for disney and work on these fairy tales and yes to bring in these you know create queer ideas and 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 make it their own but uh but it's still it's still working for for this company this um you know huge company yeah so it is an interesting thing and i like little shop and god bless you mr rosewater were never on broadway like they hadn't had a broadway show i that must have all i i feel like that that probably also was like well we've never actually been on broadway (laughs) so yes it was it was the failure at
1: being mainstream commercial and then saying, well, this is how it can get into the mainstream. Yeah. That that shift happened, I believe, because of Smile, specifically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess they had the Little Shot movie, which... Right, which
1: was a cult classic in the same yeah. way that Rocky Horror was a cult classic. But mm-hmm. the people who made Rocky Horror weren't exactly, um, at the time, I mean... They weren't exactly, you know, as mainstream as the Little
0: Mermaid. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, God bless, as you said, like, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater is so, like, and and Little Shop, too. I mean, they're both so, like, let's really look at class. Like, let's really look at, like, capitalism. Like, let's really look at those things. But, you know, in a fun way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but... Right. No,
1: they, they truly they truly have fun in whatever they do. I mean, I want to get very much approved of their work, which
0: mm-hmm. I'm sure they were glad about. Yeah. Like, what were your first impressions when you first saw it or listened to it?
1: So I've had a lot of discussions with people who want to paint Elliot as a white savior. And mm-hmm. I wanted to acknowledge that that is... A lens one could take with him. Mm-hmm. I want to respect that. I also do feel like he is a. In my mind, he becomes more sane through becoming. You know, like again, he's painted as 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 like out of control, but in my mind, he's he's become a. He gained a conscience mm. that the other people around him couldn't possibly get. Yeah. Through his circumstances. Uh, it's such a brilliant turn to see why he goes through the specific channels he goes through. You know, his obsession with science fiction and his obsession with fire and oxygen. Hmm. And just like, he's very much a product of circumstance. And we talk about people being, a you know, products of circumstance in a negative way. Being mm-hmm. somebody who feels motivated to give, also, oh my gosh, my favorite word in the book that was then used in the musical is Samaritrophia. <laughs> it's the made-up medical condition of like basically going into a state of shock for caring too much. Wow, that the wife, uh, Sylvia, goes through mm-hmm. that she she literally can't be bothered to care about other people for prolonged periods of time. Yeah. And we call that compassion burnout now, mm-hmm. but I just, I'm, I'm obsessed with the little ways that they poke fun, Vonnegut, and then, of course, Ashman and, and, and Menken at how people interact with one another, really.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first, I, I, you know, when I first saw it in 2016, well, it came at such an interesting time because that was like right at the rise of Trump. And oh yeah,
1: that too. There there was no
0: there I, I felt like there was no way to watch it without that context of like, you know, these people in a in a Midwestern town um could be Trump voters. Like it was just like you couldn't or I couldn't like not see that in there. Yeah, what if somebody came and was like, let me actually pay attention to you? It is that a Trump figure or is that someone who actually is gonna actually going to care you know so it was such an interesting time to to see it and I also remember thinking that's the Sylvia character that I just wish there had been like I felt there wasn't enough for her and I wanted more for for like I just felt she was underwritten as a a character but you are
1: correct um I was gonna say that she while like her interactions with Elliot are like some of the most heartbreaking and beautiful mm-hmm. love. Like they're falling out of love story to me is one of the best written. Yeah. But her as a character on her own. No, <laughs> their relationship is beautifully written. Yeah. Her own character is terrible. <laughs>
0: yeah. And I wonder how much of that is like, they is, is Vonnegut's writing of her and they just did it. They just adapted it pretty straightforward. Oh, the, no-
1: the novel gave her so very little.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: That doesn't surprise me from the other Vonnegut stuff I've read. I, I have read I haven't read the book of the novel of of this musical, but um I've read other ones, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because she has a, the her song where she has the the breakdown, and it's like that's her that's her main song, you know. So we just like watch this woman have the breakdown and then have to go into um I guess an institution. Cheese
3: nips. Little cheese nips, they make beautiful bright yellow crumbs. Cheese nips, little cheese nips, you must serve them when company comes. Cheese nips, cheese nips. Sylvia
4: Rosewater attempted to burn down the Rosewater Township Volunteer Firehouse. She was committed to a private mental hospital in Indianapolis.
1: Yeah, she goes to an institution and then she goes and becomes a nun and then she leaves the nun. Like she, she tries a couple tacks at things. But yeah, she is very much painted as a caricature in the same way that all of the other non- Main characters are caricatures in this whole like Mary Moody, the Mm -hmm. sex worker who keeps having twins. Like, that's a very cruel character to write (laughs) a way to write a character. It's like, oh, yeah, she's a single mom with multiple sets of twins.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I and I was thinking of it like if she just had some. Like, they could have given her maybe, like, a, another song to, like, hum, like humanize her a little bit. Sylvia.
1: They did definitely neglect Sylvia. Yeah. Um,
0: that was, like, my one, like, oh, I, I love the show. I wish that, you know, they had done that. But, because, yeah, I'm because, like, thinking of, like, you know, there are other female characters, like, Audrey, she gets this amazing song. Like, we love Audrey. Like, it's not like we have to love Sylvia, but at least, like, some song they're so good at those songs to like get you on the side of a character oh, yeah no the i mean i'm not counting
1: aladdin because uh howard didn't finish it right but the other materials that howard did finish the women all got much more depth um but the source material for rosewater really didn't give her much more
0: yeah they probably gave her more than she had in the source material
1: i mean they drew out the idea of cheese nips compared yeah. to like the actual text Mm -hmm. because some of the some i will say some of the songs are lifted directly out not the exact like rhyming and brilliance that right that howard added to it but there are entire sections of this show that are you know lifted passages of the book
0: yeah
1: cheese nips is not (laughs) they (laughs) really came up with that on their own versus like Mushari's Waltz is an example of a song that is basically I mean again, all those rhymes that Howard added are added, but it, it is lifted out of the book, pretty much.
0: I get that feeling when I when I listen to some of the songs, like the Mushari's Waltz. It covers a lot of like, not plot, but a lot like it, it moves you through like what I imagine would be like a few paragraphs
1: <laughs> of right. a, that one and book. then Firestorm Consuming Indianapolis is another one that directly lifts from the text. Yeah, um, and also um, slightly the Rosewater Foundation, but mm-hmm. most of them are, most of them are a little bit more Howard's writing versus like direct citations from the book.
0: I love. I just love Alan's music in this in this oh show. My gosh,
1: it's so fun. I love listening to the overture of this because it's so mm-hmm. buoyant. That's mm-hmm. the word I would use. Like it's it's a fun whimsical show
0: is so fun and you know it it but it just it's using a lot of musical styles and it's drawing from things whereas this is it it, a little bit will borrow a little musical style here and there but it doesn't do that as much so I feel like I'm getting much more of like Alan Menken yes there's one
1: Sondheim there's one Sondheim song in here (laughs) than a million very original concepts like so like, before before Alan met Howard,
2: uh-huh. <laughs> this is a
1: fun thing you might not know about. Uh-huh. Before Alan met Howard, he tried to write music and lyrics on his own for a while. <laughs> it was not working out for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> with Dear Ophelia, mm-hmm. the music style of that song is very similar to a lot of his original songs that he wrote by himself beforehand. And it's just like his that's a very only only a young allen style is that's Mm -hmm. an example of a song that's like not borrowing from anybody else yeah that very love the very like 70s rock love ballad
0: Mm.
4: dear ophelia here's a letter though it's sure to leave a question in your mind why i've gone away why i've left our world behind when i don't know what it is i hope to find Still, Ophelia, I must wander With a suitcase and a road map in my hand Down the highways of a lost and lonely land Looking close and trying hard to understand
0: Yeah, I love that song. He's,
1: he was, he only wrote love songs before him. He, he was like, love song, love song for years.
0: They feel very earnest. They feel very, like, yeah, it's very sincere. And, and I think this show is very interesting because it does have, it has very like clever moments, clever songs. And then it has these very sincere, beautiful songs
1: oh god the fire the fireman song is very very <laughs> wonderful
0: yeah yeah oh is that the one that has that rhyme that i was yes 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 yes, yes. <laughs> uh, thank god for the crime of arson
1: i would if it wasn't for these i would not be I, w- I would just be sitting at home with the wife and johnny carson yes that's yeah that's one of that's one of the really clever rhymes that howard did my personal favorite Howard sometimes also has to make up words to rhyme um, mm-hmm. in Mushari's Waltz. My personal favorite Howardism of all time is actually the word backstabulous, <laughs> yeah. fabulous. Um, yeah, I, I, he's got some really weird ones in this entire show that are just like, yeah, real fun.
0: I feel like I know all the ones in Little Shop by this point and like you there's just I feel like there's just even more fun fun rhymes and wordplay in this musical. I
1: also really love that uh you know Howard and Allen both being Jewish uh the line about won't touch gefilte fish yeah and, thanks in <laughs> average Americans I'm just like <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Us not normal Americans who eat our gefilte fish. <laughs> right. <laughs> very, very clear in humor that Howard was up to. Right.
0: Yeah. And speaking of sincere, my favorite song in the show is the, since you came to this town, the act one closer. I think, I think it's the most sincere and emotional song in the show.
1: Agreed. Um, I mean, it is where the it is where the title of the show is said,
0: mm-hmm. right? In that right.
1: Song because there's all of these people whose lives he's drastically improved just by going on a little spending spree and mm-hmm. like actually taking the time to listen to pe- what people want and what people need. Right. And sometimes it's money, but sometimes it's just picking up the phone and, and acknowledging that people are people.
0: Right. And, like, um, getting to know them, like, right. as as people, yeah. And actually, and we actually hear from the people in the town. It's not like, it's not like him. Right. That's what that
1: song is why I, I, that song itself is why I question the Savior point of view. Because mm-hmm. while they say God bless you, it's not like they're saying, oh, you're a Savior. They're like, oh, you came here, and my life got less scary. Yeah, that's their testimony. Doesn't point him out to be a savior as much as it does just a not shit person who's actually <laughs> like, means like, well.
0: Yeah, like there's someone. There's just someone like interested in our well being.
1: Yes, and also the idea that that one person in the town brings up is that I I used to think that God just plain forgot me like that. That idea that like nobody cares And now somebody cares Yeah It's a beautiful sentiment of that song
3: I always used to think That God just plain forgot me Or maybe got my life mixed up With someone who is not me I'm still a little scared I'm still a little sad
5: Operator, I'd like the area code, please, for Piss On It, Rhode Island. Piss on it.
3: That's right.
1: Also, a really great contrast between that song and the Act 1 opener. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you consider this, but when they're talking about the foundation and what the foundation does, it's like clear that the foundation is a tax front where you give philo- the difference between philanthropy and actual support on a human level. Yeah. Is painted really well in this musical, which also surprises me that not nonprofit theater would do it yeah. because it poked fun at the nonprofit complex.
0: Right. Which is very radical. Like it's but... a ta-
1: it's a tax break for rich people versus yeah. like actually hearing out human beings. It's I just throwing that in that like that's it's, it's a brilliant execution that we start with seeing what the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. does. Yeah. For sure. Which is oh here's some money goodbye. <laughs>
5: We've just handed Norman Mailer 50 thou to vent his spleen. Fly to us, fly to us. Here's a grant to Will Durant and to the Reverend Fulton Sheen. Apply to us, apply to us. Me, I'm writing the biography of Butterfly McQueen. Here's four grand for Orson Bean. Mm-hmm. Drive to town, come down, fill out an application. We're a boom mm-hmm. to the artistic population. They're as generous as anyone
3: can be. As it's a delight- Camera 3 We'll support you and we'll serve and, the
1: and the amount of money that he's giving at the nonprofit level is actually more. It's more physical money, but people have a problem when he's giving smaller sums of money out to people who need it more right that's the that's that's the chaotic thing
0: yeah i mean it just speaks to us like how like what like radical or you know anti-capitalist politics they were interested in when they were yes the discussion of yeah. mutual
1: aid versus non-profit philanthropy that's the that's the yeah yeah that topic is still something people are struggling with today
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so to have written about it in the 60s and then made a musical about it in the 70s is yeah,
0: but back, yeah, and back to the, the song. My mother was a
3: moon. My father was a glampers. I make my living scrubbing floors and disinfecting hampers. I eat my meals from cans. I go to bed at night. I'm still scared of the dark But lately I've been fine I'm not alone when the sun
5: if he's dumb or if he's some unimportant person that everyone wants to
3: hide
0: for some reason my mind goes to somewhere that's green from off oh, yes. when i think of musically it's it's similar i think but it also like makes me feel like a, the same way a little bit like it that the way those two songs kind of work just that using that kind of musical style to just really endear you to characters like bring out the emotion of the the situation um I just think they work like in similar similar ways like that to me like that's like the precursor to somewhere that's green which is the precursor to uh the song from Little Mermaid um part of your world yeah part of your world yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't
1: say that, I said it in a whisper so it doesn't count, but it's <laughs> true.
0: Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although they do even on record call part of your world somewhere that's dry.
0: Yeah, know. yeah, no that, that link is pretty established. Oh, I they think. admit it. I'm should we talk about like the opening number uh environment song that sure yes that they do
1: let's let's talk about that i mean so technically the opening number is also an environment song in rosewater Mm -hmm. i'm less interested in the opening number of this show to be perfectly frank because it's like just laying out what a foundation does right i'm not a type about that versus like where it's not that it's a failure of an opening number it's just less fun and less clear of an opening mm-hmm. like that's that that's the it feels like that's almost the prologue yeah like where we start with him in the town with look who's here when he's finally gotten to the town mm-hmm. and like i don't know for for me that's where the action really starts how like these are disenfranchised people that I'm here to care about he refers to himself as an artist and that the people will be the work of art <laughs> hmm yeah um, and then like you said the other ones like Skid Row in uh, in Little Shop that one is um not so pretty a picture and it also as much as somewhere that's green as the I want song you get Seymour's right want not that not that seymour isn't the main character and that audrey is arguably much more you know loved mm-hmm. than seymour yeah but seymour as i want is lodged in the middle of, of skid row where it's mm-hmm. like i uh, hate it in this fucking place <laughs> yeah.
5: all my life i've always been poor i keep asking god what i'm for. Tells me, gee, I'm not sure, sweep that floor, kid, oh, I started life as an orphan, child of the street, here on Skid Row, he took me in, gave me shelter, a bed, crust of bread, and a job, treats me like dirt, calls me a slob, which I am, so I... address you live, Downtown. when your life's a mess, you live, Downtown. where depression's just status quo. Downtown. Someone show me a way to get out of here, cause I constantly pray I'll get out of here. Please won't somebody say I'll get out of here someone give me my shot or i'll rot here show me how and i will i'll get out of here i'll start climbing uphill and get out of here someone tell me i still could get out of here someone tell lady luck that i'm stuck here gee it sure would be swell to get out of here
1: I would say more similarly to look who's here is the be our guest and under the sea of like look at this place look at where mm-hmm. you are now mm-hmm. this is where you are supposed to be mm. and you are you are one of us now is the yeah. attitude of the people in the town back to him um and in be our guest the the Inanimate objects that are now animate are to Bell being like, "You are one. Of, you are welcome here."
0: Yeah. Is
1: the is the is the atmosphere? And then under the sea is more of like a, "This is your home. Please don't leave." <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't work. She, she sneaks out during that right during that big old <laughs> instrumental solo. But yeah, that's the.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to think of that as like a song type. The the you are here. I we talked a little bit about the opening for beauty and the beast bell already but um yeah it's interesting you point out that you know th- there's this contrast between like her and like being in this town of provincial people who are like she sees as kind of horrible or just maybe not horrible but just people who she has no interest in aside from maybe like the book the bookseller <laughs> or yeah she's <laughs> like
1: she she's like oh look at these like poor uneducated people
0: yeah like i don't fit in here like yeah versus like i
1: belong with the poor uneducated people even though i'm a rich person right i i must come back to a home named after me Mm -hmm. because my function in this town is to show up for these people because it is my responsibility to them
0: right yeah there's a
1: line in there um it's my father's legal residence, I hear, but because my dad is in the US Senate, he resides here just one week and every year. hmm There's a line in there that that's the line. Um, and it also talks it that to me also the the we've we've hit on the nonprofit sector, we've hit on the the government and his deep disdain for the government coming from being related to a long line of senators and other, you know, big old capitalists. Mm-hmm. His dad is beholden and supposed to be responsible for these people. He doesn't give a shit about them at all. Right. And so he's like, "Mm, the government doesn't want to be among these people. I will go be among the people.
0: Right. Yeah. And so you get Belle who's like in the, in the, among the people and is like, get me out. And he's like, get me in.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, he he literally is like we're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm going to. Also, it's very with Beauty and the Beast the like castle which is very guarded. Mm-hmm. Versus like he's like I'm gonna move back into a mansion and I'm gonna let everyone come into the mansion and enjoy the mansion together. Yeah, he is the opposite of the Beast. Right, <laughs> he's <is> the anti-beast. <laughs> he's like, oh, you need a place to stay? Cool, come <laughs> party with me. Right. It's also very free Britney, um, mm-hmm. that they want to prove him insane so that they have control of his money.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: And that they can get some of that money. That's, yes.
0: It does make the plot, like, a little more complicated than, say, like, Little, Sh- I feel like Little Shop is very, it's a lot more, like, the plot is a little more easily accessible. The plot is get the girl,
1: uh-oh, I have to murder people. Yeah. <laughs> That's the plot.
0: Yeah. Whereas like, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater has like a, it just has like a lot more going on. Well, the difference
1: between, the biggest difference between all of the other stories, mm-hmm. this is not a love story. Right. Aladdin is less, a. I mean, Aladdin's kind of a love story. It's still a love story, but it's not just that he also just wants to be free. Everyone yeah. just wants freedom in, mm-hmm. in
2: Aladdin.
1: And, uh, including Jasmine, they all want freedom. Yeah. That's the, that's the center point of Aladdin: is that freedom is a big, set, like plot point, and Belle and Belle wants to be, you know, granted adventure, and and the Beast wants to be human again. Like every, these are these are very simple things. Mm-hmm. Versus, it's much more complicated. Yeah. In Rosewater, it's like, how do we treat people? How do we treat money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do we as a society function? right yeah and then there's a part we haven't even talked about which is um different types of trauma Mm. and how that affects a person's worldview
0: yeah there's a lot there's a lot at play in rosewater we should talk about um just like other strong points about alan and alan manken and howard ashman's writing that we love
1: the i want song is Mm -hmm. something that is just they're they're known for it. They're known for going by the BMI. Yes, they're both BMI people.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: Howard and Allen, both people that came through that and worked with Lehman Engel. Yeah. They got that very formula. <laughs> and it yeah. shows. And that's not a bad thing. They're just kind yeah. of like experts on the formula. And they taught it to Disney, the secret sauce. But the... I Want Song is something that they really did well, and I would argue that it's harder to pinpoint the I Want Song in (laughs) Rosewater. I would Mm -hmm. argue that the most compelling I Want Song is actually the villain song, and I'll get to villains in a moment, (laughs) but like, there are a lot of good I Want Songs, especially Alan Continued that after working this is this is one of the ways that in my thesis I talk about how Howard's not in the room, but Howard's in the room when Alan's writing mm-hmm. these songs for like Tangled and Enchanted and all of these more recent things where he has younger collaborators who are who are definitely writing, you know, good lyrics. It's just that like the the way that he sets music for stories is definitely influenced by his time with Howard still.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure.
1: Oh, God. Even when I was, so I saw a Bronx tale.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I did not.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I'm aware that most people didn't see it. Um, I've yeah. truly seen most things that Alan Menken has written. Yeah. But, um, but I saw it and I was like, you know, the lyrics aren't necessarily Howard lyrics. Mm-hmm. But the structure of the show is still very influenced by Howard. The central, like, mentor character that's singing about, like, love and fear and, like, Mm -hmm. that there's that I want song of, like, oh, I met a girl and I have to have her. Like, there was the very, it was very still formulaic and also the big opening number of the, there's a huge play song.
2: Mm. The
1: opening number of Bronx Tale. Yeah. is. Again, lyrics aside, the music, it's this huge, big love letter to Little Italy in the Bronx.
0: Mm. And then villains, we were going to talk
1: about. Ah, yes. So Howard Ashman, much like many uh, a queer person like John Waters and other other writers, loves a good villain. More more. Mm-hmm more than he likes the protagonists, as much as like, (laughs) they like strong, they like leading ladies sometimes, but villains are more fun to write for Sure. sure. Again, I talked at the beginning about that. I like villains that aren't really just villains. I like some complexity, but in a, in a story where there's a clear, good guy and a clear, bad guy, there's that diametric opposition, very laid out but sometimes these stories go above and beyond and have a more systemic villain. And I love those as
0: well. Yeah.
1: Um, The villains in Disney movies like Jafar and Gaston and Ursula are iconic. Yeah. (laughs) They each get a song. Although Jafar's song is very short because Howard was sick and Uh dying. But Gaston, you can't tell me that you don't, vibe with the Gaston song being like, I'm going to tell you about how great I am. Yeah, it it's the character. He always made them fit the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Audrey Chu and Oren are both kind of bad guys. Yeah. Within Little Shop. There's there's levels of that. But then in Rosewater, of course, there is our smaller villain. And I say small as a lot of puns. The other reason why that's funny is because in the book, Mm-hmm. They describe Mushari as being five foot two, which is uh, coincidentally my height. That's the obvious villain. The larger villain in Rosewater is trauma and it's also generational wealth. Um, mm-hmm. And Disney is now starting to explore trauma mm-hmm. as, a, as a villain in its stories between Turning Red and uh, Encanto, that's, that's a new development on Disney's end.
0: Cool. Well, let's, um, let's move on to talking about uh, our Why Is This So Good song, which uh, is also from God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, Uh, a firestorm consuming Indianapolis. So yeah, why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? So
1: the function that this song serves, it is sort of our 11 o'clock number. Um, But it is much more than that. It Mm -hmm. kind of goes all over the place in the same way that a rose's turn might have you go through so many things. Yeah. Um, This song was written partially, completely like new Howard material. But as I said, there are pieces of it that are found within the text, namely um, Elliot recanting his family's history And pointing out exactly how he got the money that he got. And the the ugly truth of inherited wealth and, you know, being somebody from old money. Mm
2: -hmm. And, and,
1: you know, pointing to the ugly underbelly of that. And talking about how that's evil to exploit people and harm people. And taking accountability. But then he also talks about his own wrongdoing. Which was, you know, war. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um... And Vonnegut and other writers in the 60s were, and and around the time of, around the time of Vietnam, but also around the time that that like World War II veterans were getting older, people were very much finally talking about post-traumatic stress for the first time. And this character is a textbook example of somebody with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And that was just not something that society knew how to deal with in the 60s. But Vonnegut yeah. really was like an early exploration on that topic. And this this book really goes into that. And this yeah. song, especially.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's such an amazing song in that how it goes through, like you said, like a rose's turn. It's a like a soliloquy in a way. And the, the war part is is not even it's spoken.
1: Yes, it's a monologue in the middle of the song. But he goes back to singing. Yeah.
4: Bavaria. A clarinet factory. Supposedly infested by a hedgehog of SS troops. They're in there, men. I'll toss the grenade in the window. And climb in first. You follow. I step over a body. I fall over another body. Smoke. I can't see. I'm face to face with a German in a gas mask. I do what I've been taught. I jam my knee into the man's groin, drive my bayonet into his throat, smash his jaw with my rifle butt, and then I hear an American sergeant, cease fire! He's yelling. Hold your fire, you guys! Jesus Christ. These aren't soldiers. They're firemen. I'd killed three unarmed firemen.
1: But no, he... Uh, b- before that and throughout, he is on a bus. Mm-hmm. He is processing his entire life. Like, his life is flashing before his eyes, but not just his life. The inherited misdoings of his forefathers are flashing before him and the pacing the musical the musical setting of text of this song is very special to me Mm -hmm. because you've got like the the more sweeping like staccato moments versus like these big that's that's what i mean by sweeping and staccato i'm like there's the more there's the larger musical gestures and then when he's relaying information it's very
2: Mm, yeah
1: pointed
4: One one one-way ticket to Indianapolis, please Out the window of this bus The lowest, flattest land I've ever seen An endless dry expanse of brown and green And in the distance lies the city Indianapolis Indianapolis
0: Yeah, I love how he sets Indianapolis in the beginning there. Indianapolis
1: is this big, beautiful legato moment versus when he's like talking about his family. You have mm-hmm. lyrics like, Sam the Front
4: Pager the Major Republican. In 1881, my great-grandfather married. He found a woman who had very big ones. About 400,000 very big ones. Begat they Samuel, who entered politics. And Sam from Pager, the major Republican, purchased a granary. And Sam from Pager, the major Republican, purchased a newspaper. And Sam from Pager, the major Republican, often encouraged local militias to shoot into crowds of striking workers. In 1899, my granddad, unrepentant and heedless of the charming things he'd done, decided he would bless us with a son. Begat me father, the worthy senator. Begat he me, who marched to war, who marched to Germany in 1944.
0: I also just love how it starts with him saying, "One one-way ticket to Indianapolis, please." Like he's going on this journey, and he's not coming back. And like and that, he
1: knows that he's yeah. He knows that he's done. Yeah. He knows that they're going to try and catch him,
0: and that I, and I feel like that's kind of like in the song too like he's going on this journey in the song and he we're not gonna be able to come back from that either
1: no he knows that he knows that the world no matter how much good he tries to do now there are centuries he can't undo and that also really hits really hard in this (laughs) yeah because again we talked this whole time he's clearly a protagonist right But how good can you be carrying around all of this wrong? Right. He's trying to compensate for a lot. Right.
0: It goes all the way back to 1861, the song. Right. Which Mm -hmm.
1: is so funny because I'm like, I think about what would happen if Daddy Warbucks were ever asked about how he got those Warbucks. (laughs) And I compare it to this.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. If Daddy Warbucks had this big. Daddy Warbucks (laughs) having,
1: like being self- it, like being enlightened. Right. I That's how I think, that's how I conceptualize this song. I'm like, what if the people who are like painted as good guys, but got their money through like ill-gotten gains. Right. Had to confront that and not just be like, I adopted one orphan.
0: Now I'm good. Right. And again, like this is also so like, not maybe not radical, but like, how many songs and characters do you see like having a song moment where they have to confront like the past their their family history like that the last
1: lyric is god watched us do our worst now it's his turn <laughs> that's pretty freaking accountable
0: yeah when he says his turn who is he referring to there god god okay
1: so like i'm i'm not I'm not a big God using he pronouns, however mm-hmm. this lyric is, using okay. God key Yeah. Way. Yes, God watched us do our work, now it's his worst, now it's his turn to do his worst. Like that's, uh. the, that's the idea, it's like, God, <laughs> the firestorm, it's like, oh, we're all going to hell because we did bad things.
4: A firestorm consuming Indianapolis, and every one of us is gone. Stop the Bus. Please stop the bus. Stop the bus. Please stop the bus. Stop the bus. Stop the bus. Stop the bus.
1: And also that confronts the notion that all of these like like, rich white dudes that built our country are the good guys, the Mm -hmm. like, oh no, we're all going to hell.
0: No, it's true. I mean, the whole, yeah, that's the whole last bit of this is a firestorm consuming, the firestorm consuming Indianapolis. And then from that to the end, yep, (laughs) every one of us is going to burn. Yes,
1: we're all going to hell. (laughs) And then the next song... He ends his, he's like, I'm ending my bloodline. I am giving all of my money away to random poor strangers and Mm -hmm. splitting it up so that none of them are too rich. Mm -hmm. He adopts random kids he's never met, but (sighs) doesn't benefit from them the way that Daddy Warbucks does. He's just like, go. Take my money. Mm -hmm. Go. Stay with your families. Yeah. Well, yeah, throughout the show, we're left with the guessing game of why is he obsessed with these really specific things? hmm. Why is he like this? What compelled him to go so far off of what people because he wasn't drinking? hmm. They, they take away our guesses and then lay it out for us.
0: This is I mean, is this the first time he talks about being in the war? Yeah. Because, yeah, I've never, I know it never comes up in a song. I just wasn't sure if it came up in like a... No, they just anything. don't
1: bring it up. They don't bring up, they don't explain anything till this point. Hmm. And they also, this is the thing. They, earlier in the, the, this is where it departs from the book. Mm-hmm. The section of the book that the, the listing of the, the wealth is in a completely different part of the the book. It's the beginning. Hmm. So we don't know the dark family trajectory until this song right. in detail. And so the way that Howard recrafted this to be an all-out-at-once soul-bearing isn't a Vonnegut thing. It's a, right. it's a Howard thing. Yeah. And it's <laughs> Beautiful,
0: (laughs) yeah, and I guess fits more in like a musical theater form where it's like the like as you were saying the eleven o'clock number, like things come out.
1: (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, Lynn aarons in nineteen o two, Robert or father built a house on the crest of the yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Broadview Mm -hmm. Avenue Hill. You know, the that is like more of a we're gonna do this as the prologue, right? The other approach that one could take, right, and have taken. But this approach was, we're rich, don't ask, we're just rich. And then it's like, <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah, and now we know. <laughs> it's almost kind of like um, uh, Epiphany from Sweeney Todd in a way, too. Like,
1: the solilo- I was like the soliloquy from Carousel. Yeah, or a
0: soliloquy from yeah. Carousel. It-, it feels like a little bit of a breakdown, but not in the way that Sylvia had her breakdown.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's a different type. There's like the nervous breakdown versus like the, okay, I can't do, I'm, I've been living a lie
0: Mm -hmm. of
1: I'm a good person. Yeah. No matter how much I want to be, I will never be a good person.
0: Yeah. And that's its own breakdown. (laughs) (sighs) Well, let's, um let's move on to our last section something wonderful where we just talk about something upcoming or current in musical theater that we are excited about or uh want to give a shout out to
1: sure oh my gosh so <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of the things that i'm thinking about are technically not musical theater but they involve music they're they're theater yeah it has music they're both, the things I'm thinking of, both plays with music. Yeah. So, so the For Color Girls revival. hmm Oh my God. I saw it. <laughs> yeah. It's very good. Oh, um, nice. And cool. And there's music and dance. So it's not a musical. Right. But it's pretty damn close mm. in that there is theater and music and dance and poetry. I'm like, it's a play, but. <laughs> yeah. got a lot of the bits and pieces that one might find in a musical. Nice. Um, and then I also am excited for "Which Way to the Stage," which is a new play mm-hmm. at MCC, mm-hmm. which is about a musical. It's about fans of—you uh, almost said Shoshana Bean—that's very funny. So, uh, Adina <laughs> Menzel, Adina uh-huh. Menzel fans at the stage door of Ith then. Oh, or like fans who want to be successful musical theater artists. Yeah, who are finding who are hitting a wall, but are obsessed with Adina mm-hmm. Menzel.
0: Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's a cool concept
1: yes and they do drag <laughs> performances of like over the moon from rent and Alert oh wow of, of course speaking of city center as we have much this episode mm-hmm. I have my ticket for into the woods oh, which is the nice. most stacked cast I know I actually recently did a concert at 54 Below um, mm-hmm. for Elton John's 75th birthday yeah with Shereen Pimentel who will be playing Rapunzel hmm and she is very much a once in a generation kind of a talent, and yeah. I say that with her literally being one year younger than me, <laughs> or not even a full year, but yeah. like she's she's about my age, but she's like next level. Um, and she was singing a song for Maida, and now Heather Headley is the witch, oh. and they're going to be doing "Stay with Me" together, and I'm gonna oh fall apart. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: thank you all for listening to this episode of scene to song you can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater or if you'd like to be a podcast guest love this podcast help it find more listeners by rating it on apple podcasts and leaving a review follow us on instagram at scene to song on twitter at scene song and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at seentosong.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode.